Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Now entering Nerdist.com. so glad we were able to finally do this i yeah, I, I uh my schedule sucks and your schedule <laughs> sucks for doing this kind of stuff and so we had a it almost happened and then it didn't and then yeah. but here we are yeah the important thing is we're here now uh, exactly so power of now welcome the power of now the power of now this is now very much we are so. in it but now is then yeah now so is now though now right now is now now is now but it's, now it's, it's then and, and now is gone now was gone but yeah, technically now is now, but it's coming back. Here it comes, and and it's here now. it is again. But now it's gone, and it's special. But then it's gone. I'm enjoying now. Now I've enjoyed now. Then what happens? I'm also going to enjoy the future now, which is right now. <laughs> no, the, listen, it's all. It's a bunch of thens and future nows. Yeah, that's really all it is. It's just so fast. It moves so fast. It's hard to say what now is really now. I don't know what what now is. I'm feeling it. But now it's gone. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Well, it's an interesting. This is a, this is a particularly interesting time to be talking about that. Just considering that, you know, I think I don't know if what's your do you have a normal work year or is it the normal work year is uh, a really fast paced traveling schedule. Yeah, because um, you probably work a lot. You probably work a. Ton, I know you work a ton all the time, but New Year's is probably pretty big for you. Oh yeah, yeah. New yeah. Year's is like yeah. That's the that's the big the big day for all the all the artists, all the DJs. Yeah. So um, but I mean this. It, sometimes I go to tropical places. Sometimes I go to different countries. But this time I'm just going to Miami. All right. Where are you which will from? be good. Yeah. Right. Uh, where's where my mom is from too? I lived there when I was a kid. Yeah. I lived in Miami. It's I, interesting. It's I, different. I, <laughs> I it's different than California. Yeah, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. Still a lot of Spanish there spoken. Yeah, just it's Cuban. That's what's similar. That's just Cuban Spanish. It's a similar but different. It's like it's not it's like this is Mexican Spanish. Yeah. And that's Cuban Spanish. Cuban Spanish is so fast, I think, as compared to the Spanish but as opposed to the the sort of the Mexican dialect, I feel like. Cuban Spanish sounds so fast. It's me. all so fast to me, anyways. Yeah. But it's but most people are kind of in this mode of all right, I just gotta get through one more week and then I can shut down. And I'll probably get sick for three days, <laughs> and then I can finish out the year. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's like uh, that's Las Vegas every weekend. 
Otis. And that's where I that's where I technically live. So, oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. But I'm 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 the one. I'm more of the observer. I'm the voyeur. Right. I see I see the big weekends happening for everyone else. Yeah. I just got, I want to make sure that I can make that big weekend happen for them. You're standing on stage and just watching everything. Conducting the orchestra. Yeah. And they're the they're players. They're the. This guy, do you know John Taffer? Uh, no. John Taffer is a big uh, restaurant guy and, okay. a, and a promoter and and he he comes in he has a show called bar rescue and he comes in and he fixes people's failing bars but he also opens a lot of places and he's got a bunch of places in vegas and just hearing i mean i i know i had a somewhat i had a somewhat of a grasp on the kinds of numbers we were talking about in las vegas but when he started kind of going through it's like you know, it could be fifty or a hundred bucks to get into a club, right? Plus the, the then all the drinks, and if you want a table, if you're a guy, it's a completely different story than if you're a girl. <laughs> that's uh, that's one thing for sure. You come with extra cash. Yeah. If you're a pretty girl, you, I mean, it's just the roll out the red carpet, put you on a table with some some uh, hungry, thirsty fellows, and then uh, and then the nice the nice what you want to make it. But I mean, it is it is it's not uncommon for like oh it was like a thousand dollars a person. Yeah, in this yeah, place. that's not yeah. If you want to get a table, you want to show off, and Vegas is all about showing off, you know, quote unquote. So God, the genius of it is playing to people's egos to give them money. It's so disturbing and perfect. It's, it totally works. It's capitalism, you know, at its finest. I guess what you want to call it. <laughs> but it's what's kind of interesting is if you live in Los Angeles. Uh, you drive around and you see all these, you see all these names of people. You're like, who's that guy? You're like, oh, he's a DJ. There's all these DJ billboards all over Los Angeles. Right, right. Yeah. And then you sort of realize, well, these guys are incredibly well paid entertainers because of you can just pop over to Vegas and do a couple of shows, and it's it, it's a huge deal. Yeah, well, you know, what the I think the main thing that's changed is that now the DJs are actually, you know, making the decisions on how much they they're they're supposed to be getting paid. Right. That they're part of the economic structure. Before, the DJ was like a fixture in the club. It's just like a, a, another reason to go, but they weren't paid properly. They weren't like the reason why people were going to the clubs. So when did that change, and what was the evolution of being just essentially like a, a you know a jukebox versus, oh, this person is a real entity that controls the vibe of the room. And when did I, that happen? I'd say I, I can actually give credit to, to one person. And, and since we are in LA and we were talking about LA a little bit here, um, I have to give credit to DJ AM and DJ AM was one of the, f- he was the first celebrity personality DJ that came from the underground and, and really showed off his skills, but also was able to play pop culture, these pop culture, uh, he was like a pop culture jukebox, but but in a technical way of DJing. He was able to mix all different kinds of genres and do it in a way where people were so amazed. It wasn't like playing iTunes. It was like something was happening that was incredibly special. And, and then he had this celebrity uh, personality that attracted so many different, you know, so many different cultures and so many different people that... Um, that he was the first one to really create an economic structure for DJs. He was the first well-paid DJ in America. He was, a, he was a DJ that everyone looked up to like, wow, DJ AM in 2007 or 2008 got a residency making $20,000, $20, $25,000 a show. 
And that was unheard of when you're making, I remember at the time I was, I would get like 500 bucks yeah. and I was happy, Yeah, you know, like, cause I was making $200 in a bar tab, you know, <laughs> or maybe $75 in a bar tab at the local bar, yeah. you know, and you look up to those DJs that are like, okay, he's a personality and he's, he's uh, doing what he loves to do. And, and the, the clubs are actually treating him like this is talent this is an artist that is going to bring in people and we have to pay them according to, you know, how many people they're, they're bringing in. Yeah. So what is it, uh, what is the, what is the artful side of it to people who go, Oh, what's the, I could just plug my iPhone into a fucking speaker (laughs) and play a bunch of songs. Like, how do you, how do you respond to that? And how do you explain what it is that you do and why it is important in that world? I mean, I mean, there's so many different reasons why you go see an artist. You know, um, let's like just take like the word artist, mm-hmm. you know, you can see someone go sing and sing their hearts out and you, you see the you see the, the beauty and quality of their voice or a band playing their songs. And and sometimes the band isn't about being technically the best band, but like they're just raw on that on that 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 energy that they give off, you know, um, you know, whether, whether it's those bands or whether it's a DJ. Um, and, and in many cases, DJs that are popular now are not necessarily known for their technical skill level, but known for their songs. Mm-hmm. And the songs, at the end of the day, what I've realized in this being a DJ from uh, playing in bars before I was producing and being a DJ where now my songs have connected to people around the world, the the songs themselves are the ones that are, are, the, are the reason why people... Uh, associate themselves or they want to go to a party or a club they're like oh, i want to hear this dj's music because they're also representing this culture that i i love and you go for that you go for that experience and once again that also ties in like when you go when you go see some a dj and they're representing a culture it's absolutely more of an experiential feeling you, mm-hmm. you go there to experience something the the sounds of that culture or the songs from that dj that 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 moved you just like you would go see a band yeah it's different than than like rocking out at a show you know you go see a band like foo fighters and you're just rocking out and and, you, and then you leave it's like a it's a different kind of feeling because you're 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 there to dance you're there to be part of you're there to party but you're also there to be part of that that culture you know it's like I'm gonna go see an EDM DJ, or I'm gonna go see Questlove playing hit, like you know old school funk and and hip hop, or I'm gonna go see you know it's it's like they're representing different cultures that you're part of. Yeah. And um, but but like I guess what you're saying is like, what are they doing, right? What are DJs doing? I mean, we're doing all kinds of things as well. It's like it's not just um, I mean, there's different ways to to manipulate and translate your music. You are. Once again, you are conducting the You're night. You're controlling the You're room. You're controlling the room. Yeah. And how you control the room is all subjective to, to you. You yourself are responsible for how the night's going to go. And uh, some DJs are like, okay, this is, I'm going to play my music. I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to play my music, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and some people are like, get me out of here. Right. And then some DJs know, like, you know, like, for example, like for me, when I, when I go into a room, I, I make a decision. Like I'm thinking, okay, this is Las Vegas, so there's a lot of people here that that um, know who I am. Know Steve Aoki. They're like, I yeah, I saw him on Ridiculousness, or I saw him here. I know one song, 
I don't even know what the song's called. There's a lot of those guys out there, you know. So I'm I'm playing differently. I'm playing. I want to be. I want to connect with as many people in the room. Yeah. You know, and in many ways, I learned that from DJM to be democratic. You know, to like look at the room democratically, and think about how many people you can touch. You know, emotionally connect with. Yeah. And then when I play a Steve Aoki concert or show, I'm playing the Steve Aoki songs. Right. And I'm doing the Steve Aoki set. And of course, I have to give that the Vegas shows too. Sure, you got to give that, and then give a little bit different angle. You know, play the play the songs that they know with your songs. So you're kind of, but you're reading the room, and and are you going? Oh, maybe I'll go this way. Are you sort of following yeah. the energy of the? And you, uh, yeah, you have to be able to. I think that's another interesting point is that you have to be able to just just like when you're on stage, and you you don't just read off a script. Right. You know, you have a script that you know you're going to talk about, but you want to be able to riff off people. Yeah, cuz you want to you want to you want it to be organic to the situation and you want it to right. you want it to be a unique experience with that particular audience. And it makes it special for everyone when you you're not like a robot. Right. And and like you know when people are being robotic. <laughs> you know it immediately. Once you once you see like there's like this uh, line that people just like when they just follow it no matter what, they can't turn left and right. I mean, eventually, I mean, people aren't dumb. They, they get it after like, you know, 60, 60% of the way through or yeah. even less. I mean, if you can riff off things and like, those are the things that you remember. Those are the things I remember. You know what I mean? Like, I want to remember like the moments where it was something that happened and you're able to take, take advantage of that moment and be part of the environment. Yeah. I, I remember when I was in college, um, my roommate will we we got we got really into raves for a for a period of time and it was really the it was the it was sort of right when they kind of exploded and this was like 91 or 92 and uh they had just sort of started exploding here i mean like the big warehouse ones where it was like oh we're going out to some weird industrial park and it's you know uh and i remember um Going, you know, we'd go to Melrose Avenue used to yeah. be like the haven for DJs at the time. It was there were all these like beats nonstop, all these record shops. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, Tower Records on there. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and we would. Was, uh, was, uh, Santa Monica? Or? No, no. Melrose. Oh, Santa, Melrose yeah. yeah Mel, Melrose was really all the like the all the DJ stores. You could buy turntables there and you could buy. And, and a lot of the a lot of the DJs had sections there and you could buy. You know, like a set by a guy like uh, a guy named DJ Dan. Like he had this set that you could buy. Well, uh, uh, Fat Beats. Yes. I mean, it's gone, but Fat Beats was like a staple at Melrose. I mean, I, I was going up there. That was more hip hop and scratch and turntablism, but yeah, but you, uh, you go there and like you follow different genres, different DJs. And uh, and I mean the, the culture was so was so pure and so small, but it was it was it was very potent. Yeah, I mean, and, and I I remember seeing people spinning three turntables at a time, and then just like mixing. It was it was it was I, I was so fascinated by the um, the mechanics the of technicality it. because everything because the guys who are really good it would obviously I mean I know I'm just describing DJ now but it was it was so fluid and smooth and it was diff- and the only way that you knew that things were changing was you could see the record come up and right. get and then yeah. the next one yeah. and you have his ear and the thing yeah. and right. you know but running like two or th- like three tables at a time yeah 
the I mean, moving parts that are, that's happening yeah, all at once cause my, at the speed. My roommate, Will, had a bit of money, and so he bought turntables. And I'm like, this isn't so hard. And I tried it, and it was fucking hard. <laughs> it was really hard, and it, there, there was, it was obvious, like, oh, okay, this is actually – they make it look easy, but that's what – people who are experts do right they make things look easy what do you so when you're what what where are you now is there one place in vegas that you mainly perform at do you have a residency at a place yeah I, i'm with hakasan right and w- they have all the a lot of the billboards in town yeah they're they're like they also have omni as well they're part of they own omni as well so hakasan mgm omnia caesars are the two clubs that that i'm exclusive with in las vegas nice so i'm, I'm always there I technically live in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um I'm, I'm LA like my heart is in LA and I and I do my my Dimock my record labels based out of here. My management's based out of here, but um you know, I'm a Las Vegas resident now. How long are your sets? Uh it ranges. You know, like uh, 90 minutes is is like the minimum, but sometimes I've gone like three and a half hours, four hours. But that's if I'm really just vibing and you know, but it's general generally about 90 minutes. That's not bad. Yeah, that's about that's a good amount of time. Yeah, ninety minutes is like a that's a good kind of entertainment unit. Like yeah. a good stand-up show is about ninety minutes. Too. Yeah, yeah, right. A good a, you know a decent movie is about ninety minutes. Yeah, I know yeah. a lot of movies now are like oh, it's like three hours. Like, okay, yeah. it might be too long. Ninety minutes is a good entertainment unit. I feel like that's about as that's a good arc for people. Right. Yeah. I think for the for the the general non dance community people, that's a great arc. Yeah. But for for the the dance heads. I mean, some DJs I know, like, their average set time is about six to eight hours. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and it's it's about stamina. It's about, like, being in a groove. And once you're in this pocket of, like, of where you just kind of stay in this place in your, in your, in your head, yeah. you, could, you could ride on that wave for a, a long time and not realize you were riding on that wave for two hours. Well, that's a good – because I feel like that ha- – that what you're describing happens in everything. You know, like there, there's that moment, that zone that you exactly. get into. So do you, do you have any? Do you have a way to get into that? Like, do you know how to get in into that really quickly? Because sometimes people, it's a tough place for people to get to, and the more, but the more you force it, the less likely you are to get there. So how do you slide into it? I'll tell you that like the DJs that can can continue. Um, making you feel or like uh, helping you uh, continue that flow and being in that zone, that is a skill. That's a skill that you have to have. I mean, it's and uh, it's a different kind of DJing. It's, it's like just like we're talking about with the the scratch DJs. There's a skill set on DJs that can they make you feel something and make you groove in the space for six to eight hours without drugs. <laughs> Good. I mean, because what I mean, like, like for me, it's not even. Uh, like, you know, of course, people are going to do drugs, like, you know, whatever. But, like, for me, I, I can get in a pocket. And whenever I'm, like, two and a half hours in and I'm not high on anything but the music, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely praising the DJ. And I'm just like, wow. And I, and I did I – did, I came from Sao Paulo and I, I watched Luciano play. He's, like, an incredible DJ. And this new guy that I heard, Mark Howell, he's uh, another – one of those DJs that can – can throw you in a pocket and just let just let you ride out for a really long time. Um, it's an incredible, you know, it's incredible to see that happening and and feel it. Yeah. So you pretty much you. I would imagine you know all the players in the. It's like there. It's a community. Everyone yeah. kind of knows each other. It's it's actually you know I, before I was in the rock scene and and in running my label Dimock, we've 
we've um, like crossed so many different genres, so many different um, and and seen like the different genres of music, how how the bands or artists work together, or they split up in in cliques. Um, with uh, DJs, I mean, there was a time when the, the the subgenres of electronic dance music or whatever you want to call it were very very separated, and now the walls have come down. You know, maybe four or five years ago, and a lot of DJs are working together and collaborating on music, and it's not so strange. I mean, there are the purists. They're like, "Oh my God, I can't believe my DJ that plays music at do 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 is doing music with this guy that goes do do do." And I'm not joking. I'm not joking because like there's there's genres of music are specific to uh the the BPM, and if you change your BPM, there's there's like the purists that that absolutely go crazy on you and like it's crazy how how a smallest detail yeah every every industry kind of has its own purists right like like the hardcore hardcore nerds exactly who feel like it's their responsibility to define what a thing is rather than just enjoying things exactly Uh, but that's what that's what we do with stuff so is it um is there are there are there sub are there sub uh uh cultures who go well you know, you should use lighting and effects, or no, you should never do that. It should just there's, be the music. There's criticism there too. There's criticism on on the the idea of production, yeah, and how it takes away from the music. And I mean, there's criticism for everything. <laughs> you know, like I, I for have, a thing that I, you really I, should just shut up and enjoy. Yeah, but I mean, like I have to say, I'm probably one of the most criticized DJs. Really? Yeah, because you know, besides playing music and DJing, I'm also entertaining the crowd by you know, adding in this idea of throwing cake in your face mm-hmm. or like having a raft r- ridden over the crowd, which I call white raver rafting <laughs> and doing fun little things that are like that I've kind of um, inherited from, you know, being in the punk rock hardcore scene and and um, and like having this no rules attitude, you know, like where it's like the idea is just about having fun, you know. This makes a lot of sense to me. This makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm sure that this it was this was apparent to you. But I know you're a big Bruce Lee fan, and I know <laughs> I know that it's named. At, I know that your record label is named. At, yeah, but right. that was his his thing. Was like, well, can't we just use this interdisciplinary practice of Jikundo pu- pulling all the best stuff? From right. Di- why does it? It was the exact same thing. A purist going, no, you can't do that. You right. should just. Well, why? Why can't I do this and this and this and find right. what works best? Exactly. It's just like, I mean, there are no rules. I mean, at the end of the day, if people leave with a smile on their face and say they had, they had the time of their life, then I feel like it's, it's a win. That is so, it's so That's great to hear you say thing. that. Yeah, because it, especially in, particularly in comedy, you get it a lot too. People go, well, that's not really common. It's like, well, it's comedy if people are laughing at it. How about that? <laughs> if it's fucking fun to some, you right. know, like all of this stuff is subjective. Yeah. I mean, it's art. It's subjective. And yeah. you... You know, you as an audience member connect with stuff in different ways because you bring your own baggage to it. I mean, you know, the artist is really just – I think conductor is the perfect word for it. You're sort right. of conducting the audience's flow and, you know, some people are into that and some people aren't. But it's kind of interesting. And, and um, so it doesn't – does it bother you that you get criticized for it? Are you like, eh, whatever. You don't get it. Well, I mean, I'm human too. You know, if I read a couple of things here and there, I, I, like it, it hits me and – and but then I I like it's happened enough where you know I'm, I'm a bit wiser obviously and, right. and understand it's just it could be just this little kid that's just wants to get a reaction <laughs> um, but you know actually when you get it from your peers is that's that's when I'm like whoa like 
someone that's in the industry and and wants to really make it known, then it's like, okay, you know, it's like it's going to raise attention for me. Is it super competitive or is everyone pretty supportive? Um, it's, I'd say, 95% very harmonious. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's not the opposite way around. Good. It's, it's, there's only a few loud, loud mouth haters out there that, that I mean, that's just by that their personality. That's right. how they are. And they, you know, they, they want to speak their mind about whatever. And at the end of the day, like it's an opinion it's okay it's like you know and that's i think at the end of the day you, that's how you gotta accept things it's like okay i don't like this okay cool you don't, like <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to it's okay <laughs> and um you know if you want to say oh well i mean i i've said things i don't like but but you do like 250 shows a year or something it's some insane number like that yeah right? it's uh yeah it's kind of incessant you know <laughs> <laughs> how, how often do you evolve your set is it is it ever changing yeah, I mean, the evolution of my set is all based on my music. So at the end of the day, it I mean, you know what they say with uh, with artists, you're you're known from your last hit. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of similar with electronic music except that electronic music culture really dives in to your catalog. Mm-hmm. It's um you know, it's not like a pop-based culture where uh, you could be a, a hit and then you're like nobody afterwards. Right. I mean, luckily for that, because I don't, it's not like I have hits. You know, like I'm based on songs that people hear about through the internet. Mm-hmm. And thank God for that, or else I wouldn't have a career. So, um, and I mean, that's the great thing about the idea that artists now have more control of their, their, their destiny or their music um, than they've ever had before. Thank God for that, because I, I mean, I wouldn't exist. Um, that's why I, I do Dimock Records and my label, and and support the 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 small guys that are that are trying to make and break it. That's that's what I was, and that's what I still am. Um, and so going back to the set, it's like, you know, that's the fun part of of this whole process. Is there is like this show is kind of like the tail end of the process, the beginning end of the process, the beginning start of the process is. The production of the music, and the production of the music is is uh, influenced by the sounds that are exciting you now, mm-hmm. and um, the power of now. The power of now, <laughs> and uh, I have a song called "The Power of Now." Actually, <laughs> is it based on the Eckhart Tolle book? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, I was zenning out. I, I have a music video, and I'm like zenning out on a on a hill. Um, uh, which isn't really I can't tell. I, he is meditative, but um, in any case, you know that's like that process is a lot of fun and writing music that you you're hoping will connect to fans around the world, which is also another great point that this music is is like you know majority of the music is without lyrics, mm-hmm. so it transcends not only uh, you know uh, languages but it cultures and it's global. And it unites all kinds of people, and you really see it at these huge festivals. Yeah, and it's an amazing thing to see when you play at a festival like Tomorrowland, and you look out there at main stage, and everyone's donning their flag. And there's over there's actually more countries at this one festival than the Olympics. Oh my god! Oh yeah, I've seen. Where was it? At um, maybe it was Glastonbury or something. Maybe it was Glastonbury, but it was. Uh... You know, in going back to the rave days, one of the one of the one of the guys I really liked was the guy behind Prodigy. Yeah, and that was such an interesting thing. 
that it, he went – I mean I assume. I haven't read his bio, so I don't know exactly what he did. But it seemed to me he went from being a DJ to, oh, he kind of assembled a band and then right, there was a yeah. front – but it wasn't – the guy Liam, singing, Liam Hallett. Yeah, well, Liam Hallett. He's not the singer. He's but not the singer. He's the producer. He's the he was the producer, yeah. and so the so Prodigy evolved right and into then a band into and, a band right from a DJ. But yeah. if you go back and listen to the to the early Prodigy DJ stuff, it's fucking great. Yeah, and there's a lot of great samples in it. And it, yeah. uh, there's a song called Charlie that I always loved, <laughs> uh, which people could go back and find on the internet. I'm sure, but you know I. In a box somewhere in storage, I have all of these old like Warehouse Rave Six, and it's yeah. just like all yeah, these yeah, right. collections of. Right, but right. that was, you know, do you ever see? Do you ever see evolving back to into something? Because you came from a rock background, do you ever yeah. see like, oh, maybe I want to, you know, pr- produce and make this music and kind of front a band and like have a band come in. The problem with the band structure is that there's a lot of different personalities and and different decisions, and I like <laughs> just I like just having my own little corner and right. and and uh, producing my own music, and I don't have to get anyone else to say this is wrong or this is right. Um, I've like I've tried both, and uh, you know, and, and I'm happy to do the band thing at some point again. But um, but like it's it's just when you when you have control of your own music and you could do it the way you want to do it, it's it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Oh, that that's what I was saying about Prodigy. Was I I feel like there was a Video Music Awards one year where they cut to Prodigy playing. I feel like it was Glastonbury, but I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure. But it was more people than I had ever seen at once in the aerial shot. It just looked like this throbbing organism with the yeah, light going. Right. I mean, it it is different than I guess if you're seeing a band because if you're seeing a band, you really are focused on the band. But if you're exactly. seeing a DJ, you're focused on the music. Exactly. It's a complete. I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that because when you're watching a band, like everyone's staring up at the stage, they're they're head bobbing, they're into it, but they're not into it like they're seeing. When you're at a DJ, when you're at a DJ festival, and you see like forty thousand people heaving and jumping <laughs> at the same time, and and there, it's not about. See, also another thing too is that with the rock band, it's about the rawness, about like the distortion and the noise and the chaos. And with the DJ, it's about hearing music at the best quality mm-hmm. at, at it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be. Um, you know, unfiltered. It is. It is filtered. It is <laughs> made to be the best sound. Right. So you're hearing the pristine quality, um, and mixed with the songs that you know from that DJ. And it's yeah, it's about the environment. The DJ is actually 10 percent of the show when you look up on stage. This is or he or she. They're this small, and so you see the lights and you see the production. You see the the lasers and you see and you're, you're surrounded by, you know, tens of thousands of other people at these festivals. Of course, you're going to feel something. It's yeah. it's you know it's it's something something completely different than seeing a rock band. Yeah, I mean that that has got to be an unbelievable feeling to be standing on a stage and orchestrating that many human beings at one the, time. Yeah, the best is that um it's like they all become one singular force. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they're all jumping together or they're all like waving together doing some sort of movement together whether they're singing along together they become one gigantic force <laughs> and it's incredible like the borg <laughs> yeah it's amazing like that's that's awesome and especially when they're singing your songs like when i was in sao paulo just uh, you know i like duck out the music and you hear them singing along 
to one of your songs that you that you wrote like four years ago or whatever it might be you know it still hits you no matter how many times you've played it i've played some of these songs over thousands of times you know and it, it hits you in a different way you're like you know like all these people singing along to to the same to the you know to the song that you know you, you almost forgot about you yeah. know and also the other cool thing is that I'm sure some of the DJs get to live relatively anonymous lives. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so that there's it's true. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it, it is. It's different in that way too. You know, it's not like you're plastered like like you're Katy Perry or or Kanye West everywhere. You know, um, it's not about your face. It's more about it's your music. Yeah. And like like talking about Liam Hallett or even talking about like Daft Punk, for example. You know, like it's not about who they are. About like who Thomas Bangalter and, and Guy are, like what they look like. It's about their music and how it's touched so many people. Right. Uh, is it? Am I? Forgive me for asking this. If this is really obvious, uh, did your dad really create Benny Hanna? Is that yeah, true? Yes, he did. Yeah. I mean, that's I, fucking well, actually, crazy. It's sort of a lie. But my grandfather, he started a cafe in the rubble of World War II called Benny Hanna. And Benihan is the name of a flower that grew, was the only flower that grew through the rubble. Because they had a little cafe and there was just, it was just in a devastated area. And, and this, this flower that popped up was a, a red flower called, called Benihana. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it, wasn't, it wasn't like a teppanyaki, it wasn't like a showman. It was a small cafe with an incredible story of, of, sur- of surviving through that period of time. And my father inherited the name and, and opened up Benihana in. New York, when he he came to America as a his story is incredible. He came to America as a a wrestler and defected from the Olympic group that he was with or something. And he he was an ice cream man in Harlem, living out there. And uh, he you know raised enough money to to get a loan to to open up a restaurant. And and his group, my our grandfather came helped him with the restaurant, and they decided to. Uh, bringing these tables, teppanyaki grills to cook in front of people, and um, and that was never done in America, you know, and especially like this is 1940s, yeah. So that's that's also a really tough, trying time for Japanese people post World War II. Sure. So it, and you know, just his success is an incredible story in itself. Did Did you know your grandfather at all? You- I didn't. I didn't because he passed away before my time. But um, I heard plenty of stories. So, I'm, I mean, it is, yeah, I mean, it, to hear what it must have been like to be a Japanese, a, a Japanese immigrant and then a Japanese American right. in the time, you know, in that particular time and still to be able to, to thrive, to, right. be, to be the yeah. flower in the rubble. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty incredible thing to, to, to survive. Yeah. It's a, it's incredible to, to like, you know, I mean, I grew up watching his success but the strange thing was is as i grew up i i uh i i kind of rebelled against it in a way you know like it, you know, benny han is a steakhouse mm-hmm. you know um when i when i started like understanding who i was or going through my own identity issues as a as a tween mm-hmm. um i found vegetarianism and and i was vegetarian you know for 15 years like you know, kind of not understanding, you know, Benihana as being a steakhouse, and you know, <laughs> not really wanting to go there. Um, but it's just a strange kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but I think that probably 
that sounds more in line with your family, like the personality that was sort of handed down of like, I'm going to create my own thing and find my own thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to do a bunch of different things and be an entrepreneur and invent, you know, and create stuff. I mean, it sounds pretty similar, right? You just, you know, mm. your grandfather did it with a cafe. Your dad did it with a steakhouse and yeah. you're, you're doing it with, with art. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, but it's all, it's all sounds like it's pretty in line. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's also the kind of father, he's like a tough love parent. So, he never gave his kids any money. He never, he never donned us with gifts. Sometimes, you know, um, and he was—he's was a tough dad. You know, he's a tough dad, and like it, it was the best thing that he ever did was not actually investing or helping us out financially. And um, and you know, I—you I, have to grow up on your own. Yeah, and like that's how he did it. So he had to figure that out himself. So he's not gonna if he spoiled us. We, I don't think we could have grown, you know, all our siblings, myself included, could have grown, you know, to stand on our own feet and actually do something. Oh, well, because, yeah, because you, you, you would not have been, you, it was just, it just sort of, it's just Darwinian. You wouldn't have evolved exactly. to know that yeah. you needed to, yeah, exactly. to do that. And so it's like, uh, now I'm getting to the age of where, you know, I, I don't have any kids yet, but, um, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about what kind of dad I would be, and it would definitely be, you know, along the same footsteps, but with, you know, I mean, the great thing is, is I had a mom mm-hmm. that was extremely caring and and so selfless, and and and, but she was very compassionate and not in the in the right ways, in like you know, connecting human to human, and that was really really important for me growing up too. So I had like a very tough dad. I was like, you need to figure out how to get to New York if you want to come DJ or if you need you, – you want money for your like, – it's not like I ever asked him but um, – because I was always afraid to. But like, you want to start this label, record label business at, when you're, in, you're 19? You got to figure out yourself. I'm not going to give you any money. you know. And you, know, you just have to do it yourself. You have to get the tools in front of you and figure it out. And if you can't do that, then you got problems. <laughs> you can't, I mean, you know what I mean? Like you got to figure that out. Like, yeah, I didn't know how to play guitar. So I got my friend's guitar and I picked up, um, uh, the guitar and started jamming out with my friends and I didn't know how to record music. So, uh, I got my friend's, uh, Tascam four track recorder and learned how to play all the instruments and record my first demo when I was 16. These are all things. It's like, I didn't get training for a lot of this stuff. I mean, I, I owe, owe a lot of it to the, the hardcore straight edge community that I was part of. Yeah. Because at that time, it was all about it's all about this idea that you can discover the idea of discovery and being able to take the tools in front of you and make something happen. Right. Well, it's you know it when you look at and you know again I've I've probably we've done almost eight hundred podcasts and I've talked to some of the most successful people on every in in, in so many different facets of the world, not just entertainment, but. Uh, business too and technology and and we like just yesterday had Kathleen Kennedy on who was a co-founder of Amblin with Steven Spielberg right. and you know who would later become her husband Frank Marshall and she said you know Spielberg really loved even when he got successful he loved creating limitations and boundaries because it forced him to be more creative and it gave right. him stuff to 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 work around and it's the same kind of thing you're saying where. Having like getting the task, like having to figure the shit out yourself, right, was so much more valuable than someone just handing it to you. Absolutely, and you have to have the hunger because everything's built on passion. Yeah, and if you're not passionate, then it will fall apart. Right, 
You know, you need to believe in what you're doing. And if it's handed to you, it's more likely than not, it will fall apart. Right. Because you won't appreciate the value of yeah, it. Yeah, it's appreciation, value, passion. Those are all the, the building blocks of success. Do you kind of – I mean, it, it's, it sounds like you're either very spiritual or very philosophical or maybe both. But how do you sort of stay focused? Like how do you – what is it? Do you have like a daily ritual? Is it a meditation ritual or like a daily gratitude ritual or what's your thing? I, I wish I could give one of those rituals. I just – I don't really have one. I, I tried meditation and I, I could say that that's part of it. But that was later. You know, I mean, that was later in my stage of understanding how to organize and and build teams. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, that's I mean, it's the people around you that also believe in your vision yeah. that are going to help the vision happen. And so when it comes to business, when it comes to like all the different businesses that I do have, and I have multiple businesses, uh, it, it everything relies on who who is in your team and trial and error and figuring out the right decisions and not making the same mistakes again on, on why you hired that, that person or not. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the teams are absolutely everything. I mean, as far as a ritual, I, I'd say that would be the ongoing ritual is making sure your team is the right team. Yeah. And uh, no matter how many, like how many teams I've built, I'm always learning what is the right team, what isn't the right team. I got a team back here. Is this the right team? I don't know. Sometimes I have to question these guys. (laughs) I'll tell you why this guy's the right team, because he's wearing an ALF t-shirt. Do you see that there's an ALF doll over there? You know, we're we're having our 10-year anniversary dinner. We've been working together from... For ten years, wow! From when I was a horrible DJ, and he wasn't—he <laughs> wasn't even a manager. And uh, and we're like, let's let's conquer the world together. And and here we are, ten years later, through a million fights and and giving him a lot of headache, and him taking a lot of my money. But uh, yeah, you know, but that's that's, that's part of the fun part about about <laughs> having to figure shit out on your own is. Then you're not as afraid to fail because you're like, oh, I tried to build this thing. It didn't work. I'll just try this or I'll just try this. Like you really, you know, there is no, there's nothing wrong with fucking up as long as you can learn from it and you can try again. There's success in every failure if you can find the success. Yeah. And weirdly, when you sort of look back at your life and you go, well, if I didn't, like those failures were a gift because yes, if I hadn't exactly. if I hadn't fucked up, even though they felt shitty at the time. Oh my god! If I hadn't fallen on my face, or I hadn't fucked this up, or if this hadn't been yanked away, I never would have learned this to then be where I am yeah, now. Right now, yeah. uh, so it's uh, it, resilience. It's it is, resilience through the failure. Yeah, because I think a lot of times the flower and the rubble. You know, yeah, it's 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 like morale, man. You you get to a point where you're like, I'm done now. I fucking fall on my face so many times. It's like, okay, actually, you know what? You need to stop. You know what I mean? Like, there's a point when, like, you don't want to keep pushing it. You know, because, like, you know, there's the stories where, like, oh, man, I kept trying, I kept trying, I kept trying. Boom, I'm a billionaire. Right. But, like, some like a lot of people that, that think, like, they're going to keep trying and become a billionaire, they might not ever do that. They right. need to stop. They need to, like, stop and go, maybe this isn't my thing. Yeah, I'm going to try something else, you know? Because I think that story hits well, home more often than not. I think I think when that happens, people are more obsessed with the with the the goal, and they're not sort of like you were just saying when you're doing a set. They're kind of in robotic mode and they're not listening. Yes. Because I think a lot of times, if people 
go. They're too linear. Well, you know, I heard anything's possible, but this is impossible because I couldn't figure it out. And it's like, yeah, but along the way, you need to ask yourself: Is this still right for me? Is this still something I even want to do? Is this something that that makes sense? You know, is this something that I'm still passionate about? Am I just passionate about? Achieving this goal to for my ego, or am I really? If you're really passionate about the thing and the process, then it doesn't. It doesn't. Then nothing else matters. Which goes right back to the power of now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not about the 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 end result. It's about the the journey. Yeah. Always. So, yeah. So it's like you know, I'm having fun with you right now. So hey, oh, man, good. the power of now is fucking good. awesome. Because you don't. Because even if you made that billion dollars, even if you crossed whatever sort of a goal you wanted to achieve, it's not. That thing doesn't change you. What changes you and evolves you is how you got there. Like right. it's all that's all the yeah. learning process. Yeah, that's why when they ask the five year question, I'm like, I have fucking no clue because you asked me five years ago, it's definitely not here. Yeah. And five years before that is absolutely nowhere near here. Yeah. You know, so it's you just kinda gotta go with what f- drives you at the moment. Yeah. And and then make the most of it with the with the teams you have. And the struggles suck, but that's where the most growth happens. Yeah. That's where you find out who you are and that's where you really uh so it you know I think it's good for people because I'm sure there are a lot of people like yourself who are like, Oh, I wanna be a self starter, I wanna be an entrepreneur, I wanna build stuff, I wanna you know That's I think that's one of the most uh probably the most asked questions, especially when people are listening to podcasts like this. Like, how do I get there? <laughs> we got like I, I yeah exactly exactly and you just you can't think about what there is right just think about what now is you know like making now real because yeah. like I mean I started in fucking a bedroom to a living room you know playing shows and fucking I remember like I going on tour with my band making like I remember getting twelve dollars for a show yeah driving twelve hours to play in front of ten people and literally going all right now I need to know everyone's names and then like we're gonna do this show. And then we're going to hang out afterwards, and then I got paid $12, and we had to drive another 12 hours to the next show. And I fucking loved it. <laughs> I was like, this is why I'm so happy. I'm on the road. I'm playing my music. I'm singing, and people actually know my songs. Like, these 10 people actually care to come to my show. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, like, remembering that, too, is actually very important. Yeah, it's great. It's, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, Katie, who's our producer, was just mentioning last night just about how, you know, there is kind of an entitlement, I think, with the, there's a there's sort of a, a youth entitlement where people yeah. are like, well, I don't understand why I can't have this thing now, <laughs> right. and you know, and Katie pointed out that I, I just I have to give you a microphone for this, Katie, because you said something that never really occurred to me before, which is you go, yeah, par-, and this was one of those like these goddamn kids today kind of conversations, <laughs> but it was like, you know, there, there's a generation of kids who grew up in a in a culture of. We can never tell anyone they're doing anything wrong. We can never. Right, everyone yeah. has to get an award. There's yeah, never. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and you know, you said like you don't you don't learn shit that way. Yeah, no. I mean, I was like part of it where I saw the difference because I used to play sports when I grew up, and like when I was really when I first started, if we didn't get first, second, or third place, we didn't get a trophy. We didn't get anything. Right. And then I saw it all of a sudden. You're getting participation trophies, and everyone's getting the same trophy. And I saw that kid. I, my neighbor's four years younger, and I saw it with him. And they have, like, commercials and stuff about this now. But, yeah, it, I just started to notice that, how, like, teachers would be more careful about what they would say. They wouldn't criticize you. Um, and now it's just, it's like, you can't say anything to kids. They think that they're all right. And yeah. they kind of, they sort of grow up a little more entitled and yeah. expecting... They, they think kind their of shit ex- don't stink. <laughs> like, they just think everything they do is special and they're perfect. And That's the, that's yeah. the bad word right there. Yeah. Entitlement. 
Yeah. That's like the if you if you even I think that I, people need to understand what that word means to themselves and and understand like what like terms like gratefulness or gratitude and of where you are and and how to make that something real. You know, that, that's the problem I think with a lot of people that I've heard is that don't be entitled to anything. I mean, unless you create it yourself. Right. You know, like if you create yourself, you have every right to be entitled to that. But like, don't be entitled to things that that's not yours to be entitled for. You know, it's um, you have to create your own, you know, your own way. Yeah. You see it in comedy sometimes where you see young comics and then they're like, you know, man, nobody will book me on the road. And it's like, how long have you been doing stand up? Like 18 months. Well, fucking, <laughs> it's, you need to, I mean, it takes longer than that. Like yeah. you got to get, you know, like don't. You can't right. just expect, and I'm yeah. sure it's the same thing. Like, man, none of the clubs in Vegas are going to book me with DJ. Yeah, you gotta find, you gotta get there. Exactly. You know? and, yeah, gotta give uh, it some time. Yeah, like it's funny. Also, like with every with everything that is out there, there's always saturation. Yes, and it's so it's so it's always going to be saturated. Yeah, if especially if people love the art of what it is, if people love like going to to uh, clubs with DJs. It's going to be saturated. People love going to comedy shows. It's going to be saturated. You just got to be doing something different. Be you and do something that's you. Most people don't even know who you is. Like, they don't even know who they are. And right, yeah, people, yeah. Like, you don't, you rarely ask those questions of yourself. Who am I? What do I want? Like, they're very basic questions, but most people don't ask them. Right. Because I think if you did, you might get different answers than what you think you want, yeah, which is such a strange thing. And, and and if you don't know, then it's always it's what you want to be, and it's the, what you want to be is someone else. Right. And that's that's where it's like, you have to stop yourself there and go like, do I really, do I want to be Aziz Ansari? Like, no, I don't. I want to be me, but what is me? Yeah, it's, it, that, that's, a, that's a larger question. It's a big, big weighty question, but I also think, you know, I, I think the internet has also activated our instant gratification addiction. And so in as much as you can get anything you want via the internet instantaneously, I think people expect like, well, I should just be really famous now. Like, right. Yeah. Well, I would be to... Instagram famous. Yeah. Snapchat famous. <laughs> but uh, nothing wrong with Snapchat famous people. Actually, like, uh, uh, that, that's a skill in itself. Listen, I just, I, I decided that, and this was completely by accident, mainly I use Snapchat to draw dicks on my fiance's cat. That's, I can't. I think I want to follow you now. Oh, oh, just yeah. really, really quick, Katie. And Give me my can... Snapchat. I'll get a little Snapchat going on. Have you been Snapchatting? Here. I mean, I don't, I don't have any active right now, but here, like this, this is, this is, I, I've just been, uh, I've just been drawing on the, on the cat for the past oh, uh, couple of. Uh... Oh, dude, dude, I got a point. Wait, let me get it. Okay, so here's, um, the, here's I'm going to Snapchat you showing me your Snapchat. <laughs> Of, okay. of your cat. Yeah, there's the cat uh, taking a shit on the carpet there. There's the cat surrounded by dicks. Am I doing Snapchat right? Oh, my. That's uh, awesome. Getting eaten out by Zoidberg, which I thought was a really Wow, that's thing. actually a really good Snapchat. Just getting fucked by Stimpy was another one that I was that's excited really about. That's a drawing, I have to say. Like, I, I mean, I don't even put that much time in my Snapchat. There's the cat taking a, having a dream about taking out Blue's Clues. Uh, there's the cat getting jumped on by Mario. There's a cat for Thanksgiving. I mean, this is... <laughs> someone follow, Someone saw this picture. They go, I think I followed someone who's posing as you and just drawing dicks on their cat. And I go, nope, that was me. <laughs> that was me. That's oh, what I enjoy God, Snapchat for. Awesome. Username Chris Hardwick. Who are you, Steve Aoki? On, on um, Aoki Steve. Aoki Steve. Yeah, because someone stole Steve Aoki. God That's damn it! Nice. These trolls out there, or not trolls, I guess. 
What squatters. The squatters, man. Squatters. They wouldn't give it up. Actually, I, I, I think I, we try to like Snapchat at them. Like, yo, man, try to be nice. Hi, my name and, is Steve Aoki. <laughs> what is your name? And I think you sent like a picture of like a turd or something. <laughs> I forget, that something, sucks, but it's kind yeah, of funny. Yeah. That sucks, but it's kind of funny. Uh, yeah. Is it... <laughs> I was like, I'd like to give it to you. I mean, it was just, you know, actually, I got my YouTube back. That guy was really nice. I just give a shout out oh, to that good. guy. Yeah, because he, he, he was sitting on that and he was a fan. So I was like, if you're, you know, like, oh man, like, I'll give you some t shirts or something. It's like, oh, sweet. Oh, that's and, nice. Yeah, you know, yeah, I got my, I got the, uh, I've, I've since given Nerdist to my company Nerdist because we're now. Like, I don't know. Two beasts. I, two, two beasts, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I got the Nerdist Instagram a handful of years ago. because I sent the guy a limited edition Walking Dead watch. Yeah. He was like, yeah, I nice, go, is there anything nice. I can give you to get the Nerdist Instagram? And he goes, I saw one of those sweet watches on your show. Can I have that <laughs> and for my dad? And I go, yeah. So I sent him a Walking Dead watch, and that's how I got the Nerdist Snapchat initially. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's pretty cool. Uh, did, quick question. Do you speak Japanese? Total Dake. Ah, I want to. I'm. I'm gonna. I had started taking uh, tutoring lessons because I want to go to Japan next year. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna. Start. Oh, by the way, only five point five percent of the population of Japan. Yeah. speak English. Only five percent. Five point five percent of the population in 2015. Oh wow! So I better learn some Japanese. And so, if you leave Tokyo, you're you're gonna be tough, tough place. But the but the one thing is that the people there are so nice. Yeah. And so thoughtful, and if you're lost, they will take you wherever you're going. Oh, and it's that's the great. truth. It's well, like it's not something that's like a. Mythology. I want to make it easier, but I also want to be. I also feel like I want to represent America well because I feel like a lot of Americans go other places and they're like, "Well, everyone speaks English." I'm like, "Yeah, but maybe we should try to respect other cultures." So I really want to. You know, I wanted to take Japanese in college, but it was full. Right. So I ended up taking Italian because my mom's family is Italian. But I always wanted to learn. I always wanted to learn Japanese. Right, what, what's more important than learning Japanese to go to Japan hmm. is just bowing. Bowing. Yeah, because that's the sign of respect. Okay. And you always bow lower than them. Do you make eye contact or does your head go down? Um, I mean, at this point, they, they know you're a gaijin. Uh, right. You yes. Know? So, like, they just if you like if you show if you just show gestures of of just just being, it's like it's more humility. Yeah. It's more like oh, like, you know, like kind of like oh, okay, you've entered the room. I'm just gonna be nice and right. bow and. And you know, give you your space, but that's that's really like they 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 already know when they see you. <laughs> they, they're gonna know. And if you start speaking Japanese, yeah. they won't understand oh. unless you say arigato or like the like you know. But yeah, I mean, go do it, do it, learn Japanese. I want to learn yeah, it. No, I do re- it. I really, yeah. I really want to learn it. I gotta uh, just because it's uh, <clears throat> in in just a little bit that I've started studying. And the thing that I love about it is it is it's. I mean this as a compliment. It's very mathematical. It's very logical. Yeah. The way that it it's very structured in the way that <laughs> I, I I'm doing a really bad but it's like you mean I talk about that when they get mad? Yeah. Okay, well yeah. In the way that English I feel like is very unstructured in terms of while we're talking, you know, snapping. Yeah. And then chatting. Uh, and then uh don't draw dicks on me. Uh <laughs> Then I feel like it would only be fair because of you know, what the cat's been going through. You know, it's just a fun, harmless way to fuck with the cat. The cat doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't get hurt. People, you know, some people go, oh, the poor cat. Like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know that while well, he was just lying there on the carpet yeah. that tens of thousands of people were watching him. But you know what? No one's actually making fun of the cat. 
No. That's the that's the beauty of it. It's like no. if they were making fun of the cat. Yeah. Then it's a different story. He's a cool the cat's real yeah, cool. I mean don't make fun of the cat, man. They're yeah. making fun of you. They're making fun of me. They're not actually making fun of you. They're actually not making fun of anyone. Yeah. They're making probably making fun of the fact that I'm a grown man with a fifteen year old's sense of humor. Uh, but I which is like- awesome. I mean, I think that's pretty <laughs> awesome. I, I love it. I, I, I'm, I'm throwing, yeah, I love it. I think it's hilarious. Everyone in the room is laughing. So, so where where are you going to be next? Are you so you must be in? Well, first of all, um, thank you for producing the hive. Oh man, high five on that. Yes, that's, hi- that, that's a high five. Hive five. five. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Hive five. No, I apologize. That no, that was, that was I don't know. I, that was cool. I don't know if that I was cool. That was more of a let's enjoy the journey than the goal. Uh, but it was <laughs> but the hive was so much fun and Yarvo was so great. I thought oh, he did he such is, a great job. Incredible. And you did such a great job with the music and it, you know, as I, I my fiance and I watch as many horror things as possible always. And so when we see something that has a fresh take on things, yeah. that's talk about saturation. There's so much saturation right. in horror right, right now. So when you see something that even feels a little bit different, you're like, oh my God, this is great. Yeah, you awesome. know? You know, And Yarvo did such a great job. Yeah, his his vision from the beginning was was awesome. Plus like all his, I don't know if you saw his music videos before that he directed. Was, yeah, 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 yeah. Just so sick, man. Yeah, he was, uh, he was perfect for the movie. And then, are you? Do you think you guys are going to do another one? Do you going to do another one? I'm not sure. Uh, we we didn't really get that far last time I met with the team. Yeah. But um, I mean, I was just happy to be involved from the beginning for on this one, you know, and and um and meeting with him and meeting with Cary Grant and and going over the music, um, you know, now I'm like doing music for other movies, but but this is like my first time really diving in from the beginning. What's so your cool. favorite 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 thing to do of all the things you do? What's your favorite? Um. It's a balance. I mean, it's music related. It's a balance between uh, finishing a song that 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 I feel like will will uh, affect a lot of people, will emotionally touch a lot of people, and at the same time being able to see it happen mm-hmm. by playing it out and and you know being a part of that experience. Yeah, because like when you actually see it emotionally affect someone, um, that your work has actually touched someone and. and you see in front of you. It's that. That's. I, I think that's the the reason why I'm such a touring. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a touring monster because I I love being able to to see that all the time. Yeah. And you know, it's like that's the grati- the 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 most gratifying gratifying way of 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 like seeing how the art is going out in the world. It is. It's pretty cool though because as a I feel like as a DJ, you're. It's very similar to the way the internet works with entertainment in terms of, you know, a, a regular band will get radio play or like a TV show is on TV. Yeah. But the only way the internet content works is that it has to be shareable. Like people have yeah. to talk about it. They have to send it. Oh my God, you'll love this. They have to, they're really, a community really has to form around it. Right. For it to get to the next level and for people to know. And I feel like that's so that's so much – I feel like it's more gratifying rather than having a big machine just tell people, yeah. like, this thing is good. You yeah, should watch exactly. it. You know? People really do they had to discover. Together. They have to discover it as well yeah. instead of having um, – whether it's through their friends or through a community um, rather than just like yeah, turning on the radio yeah. and like having it like play you five different times. You're like, okay, now I know the song. Yeah. You know, um, of course, I love when my, my, when my songs make it on the radio. But it's, it's – you know, that's – I, I don't write my songs for radio, right. and and luckily I've built a career 
where I never had to. But of course, when it does, it's like, you know, it's like one of the most epic feelings to hear your song, get, knowing it's getting played to so many well, people. How do you, when you produce for other people or you write or work with other people, how is that different than when you're writing for your, than when you're doing it for yourself? Um, well, you like, I'm so concerned about what the Steve Aoki brand is is going to represent with my music. Mm-hmm. So if I produce a song for another artist, I don't have to think about with about that. And there are songs where like it's like when you're in the studio, you're not like you're just gonna write what you feel at the time, and it might not be a sound that you want to represent from your brand. Sure. So there's like songs where I'll produce it, and I've like you know what this works for you. This works for like you know here's a list of artists that I think it would work for, and if they gel with it, then 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 it's their song. You're just basically talking about. Uh, you know, and you mean like your voice, like it's basically your voice that some things work in your voice and some things work better. Or no, like if I produce a beat. Yeah. So if I produce a beat that's like, okay, this, this represents what, you know, right now I'm like, I'm working on my next album, Neon Future 3. So, um, I have songs that fit that album and I have songs that don't fit it, but I want that music to go with certain artists. So I can give it to, you know, this singer that I think it works well with her voice, and and uh, generally I like like to deliver full bodies of work because I work with a lot of songwriters as well. Yeah, that that help write the vocals and top lines on top of of my of my melodies or beats. You know, do you think that uh, that modern day entertainers do you think it's do you think it's required of them to do the kind of thing that you and I do, which is a bunch of different things? Or do you think that's just, well, it doesn't have to be that uh, way? No, it doesn't have to be. Because you got to think, there's like artists, let's say that when you're talking about artists in my world that are really, really successful, they're, it's just a personality trait, I think. Because like Calvin Harris, for example, he's an incredible producer. Uh, he's going to be known as one of the best producers of our time. And he's, a, he's an electronic dance guy. You know, he produces you know, beats from our world that cross over into pop. Mm-hmm. And... and you know, you don't see his name flying all over different things. You know, not not to say that he doesn't do it, but you like you see his name in music. I mean, it's not. I, you know, I'm not normally wowed by figures, but they released a figure. It was like Taylor Swift made X amount of, and Calvin Harris made sixty six million dollars. They're like, what the holy shit? And that's just music. That's just music. It's just music. So it's like, and you know, for me. It's never been about how much money can I make doing all these other things. It's about what what I feel inspired or passionate about. And now I have a platform, which is music, to be able to go and sit with you, hang out with you, yeah. you know, in this room, you know, with... But $66 million is still pretty cool. Yeah, of course that's cool, <laughs> you know. But if like, it, but at the same time, it's like, you know... But $12 is also cool to you. But, but in, in any case, I don't think Calvin Harris, and I want to speak for him, it's not like he's producing music to make 66 million dollars no of course not he's just he like he like i've been listening to his music since for a long time man that guy is just prolific yeah and he's just a hard-working musician songwriter singer he does everything he's incredible and he's probably not thinking about the money either because you can't you you can't i mean he couldn't i don't think you'd be able to continue if, if you got that in your head i don't think he'd be able to continue to he doesn't have to think about money he doesn't have to think about he it. doesn't have to he ever have to think about it he just thinks about the next really nice expensive thing he wants to buy and know that he can do it <laughs> you know i mean that's like the great thing it's like there's no like okay i'll, I'll just buy a jet if i want sure why not yeah. you know i don't need to fly 
commercial anymore or something. But, I, but, but again, you know, yeah, that's all fine and good and everything, but it is all about passion. And, and like I was sort of joking about before, you know, the $12 that you made to perform for a handful of people and had to drive 12 hours. I mean, emotionally, that's probably more rewarding than if someone just gave you a bunch of money. You know what I mean? Like it, it because that, that really money, money is a money is a tool at the end of the day. It's a tool to get things. And there's people that had $300 million and like Mike Tyson is they're just gone. They're, yeah. It was all gone. And he doesn't make them happier. Doesn't yeah, solve their a, problems. It's just a tool to get stuff, you know, like stuff that you probably don't even need. And the, and the, the most amazing things in life, are free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it like that, but it's what's in your head. What makes you happy? The people that surround you that like that you have to make the right decisions in your life. Or the people that surround you that make you happy. Yeah. What makes you happy? It's not like, it's not things. Yeah, right. It's nice to drive a really expensive car, but I'd rather hang out with people that, that like actually care about me and that want the best for me. And I care about them, want the best for them. And I want to be creative and do things that are going to emotionally f- touch people. Yeah. And that that is powerful. Well, I'm sure, but I'm sure, but also I'm sure people are like, "Well, shut up! You guys have made money doing work, so fuck you." I don't <laughs> yeah. have, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sure. No, I do. Yes, but I also believe that I think people place too much emphasis on it, and that it doesn't. So it solves some problems, but it does not solve all problems. Yeah, and you still need to do the things that you're passionate about. And I just think if if rather than someone said, "Well, my goal is to make a billion dollars," like. That's not uh, – what you should be asking is what's going to make me happy because ultimately, yeah. you know, you, that's – you have you know, to live yeah, with yourself it, every day. Yeah, and also, you know what, like just to just to like play devil's advocate because, you know, we're, we're, we both make money for what we do. Hey, man, I, I made money and I bought myself a crazy house in Vegas because <laughs> I never thought I could. And right. I did it with my own money and I was proud of that. Yeah. That's my money that I made. And that was sitting in a bank, and now I put into something where I turned this house, my house, into uh, my dream home. Mm-hmm. I have a foam pit in there. I have a, <laughs> I have a super trampoline. I have a 16-foot deep pool that I could jump into whenever I want. Are you in the sequel to the movie Big? Yeah, basically that's me. You know, like Josh like, you know, like if I'm gonna get if I, like this is my house, I'm gonna make my dream house. Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm gonna share it with like my my family or what, my future family. Also, you but, and also you do. I know that you do charity work. I know you do a lot of yeah. great charity work too. Of course, and like you know, and I mean that that's once again that's going towards like this platform that we have of influence, mm-hmm. and and that's how we can actually spread. You know, awareness and and information, not just not just raising money. I think it's also important to talk about these things that people don't really know about, like whatever it is. You know, like you know, in, in my world, like you know, if you if you look in the club world and the festival world, people are having the best times of their lives, and and a lot of them don't know about like uh, you know the stuff that I'm interested in. Like I could be able to kind of bring that demographic over. And and maybe one percent of the population of, of the demo- demographic will have an interest in in helping people with brain degenerative diseases uh, or you know the stuff that we're doing right now. Yeah. Oh, what what are some of the things like what 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 sort of charity work is important to you? Um, right now, it's really about like brain health mm-hmm. and uh, brain research, and um, I've been like my album's called Neon Future, and that's all based on looking at science and technology and and you know 
where we're using it to you know better our lives uh make our brains more creative or uh live longer and healthier lives and and uh and i was i was able to bring on scientists and other futurists that are you know versed in their fields on the album and in in so doing i wanted to also that's a musical composition of what neon future is i wanted to to make a companion set interviewing these futurists talking to the scientists and then also raising money towards the research mm-hmm. that that these these uh, people are doing on on uh, like for example uh, Aubrey de Grey who has an organization called Sense and they're they're like uh, trying to reverse uh, reverse cellular degeneration and and they're you know like that's their research is understanding why cells break down they overpopulate mutate and you know do research on that it's like. You know, the the end goal being, you know, if we can reverse cellular degeneration, we won't age. Our our organs won't fail or um, can't, can't like, you know, cells, cancerous cells won't become cancerous or I mean, or cells become cancerous won't become cancerous mm-hmm. and really interesting stuff like that. That's that you think, you know, going back to when I was a kid, I, I read comic books because I was obsessed with the science fiction about the future. And now things are happening. 2015 that, <coughs> that that are fulfilling that. Yeah, and 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 I I love reading about that. So, um, you know, it, uh, sorry, it was a long one for that, but no, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's like at the end of the day, it's science and what we're doing right now and technology is exciting, and um, and I want to put more emphasis on that, more awareness on that, raise money towards that. Excellent. Well, this has been an amazing chat. Thank you so much for coming in. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so follow your passions, people. Be the flower that grows in the rubble. Be the Benihana flower that grows in the rubble. Right. And also uh, make stuff. Just make your own stuff. Yeah, make stuff. I think that's the best is be creative. Make stuff. Be, be creative. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that we talked about the idea of being yourself and what is that, you know? And, and I think that's the question is like, who who are you? Yeah. How do you find that? And Try um, things. You try things. You try make stuff. a lot of things. You know, because a lot of times, the, one of the one of the great things about art, about making art, is not so much just to affect other people or to get attention or whatever, but also making art tells you a lot about who you are because you don't realize. Sometimes you don't. A lot of times, actually, you don't realize what you're saying until you make something and just spit it out and go, yeah. "Oh wow, I guess." This is a piece of who I am, and I didn't realize that until I manifested it into the into the real world. Right. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for letting us uh, get on board the hive with you. And uh, that was awesome. And, yeah. and 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 high five, high five, high five. Thank you for bringing it back around and making me feel less ridiculous. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. Uh, the uh, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Which is our way of saying enjoy uh, live in the now. Power of now. The end. Burrito, burrito. Live in the burrito. Live in the live in the burrito. Just jump in that burrito. Jump in the burrito. <laughs> Get all up in there. What's in your burrito? That was too much like a cup of one commercial. <laughs> I was, I was, I was yeah. waiting for like Chipotle. Or... <laughs> <laughs> That's if Chipotle gets bought out by Capital One. What's in your burrito? All right. The end. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. <laughs> 
Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.